Well, hello again. Welcome. There's some eclectic people in the crowd today I could see. I don't know if we have security, but we could please keep your eye on these people. They're wearing birthday hats. No idea what that is about. Um, but if you weren't with us last week, um, we're taking a break in our gospel, or I'm sorry, our series in Philippians, the Epistle of Joy. Uh, we're doing a three-week series on uh, the farewell of Jesus uh, to his disciples. So this is week two of three. We're in the book of John. Uh, we started last week in chapter 13. We're skipping ahead to chapter 15. This is after uh, Jesus has told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, this is after he's already said, uh, I am the true vine. Abide in me that you would bear much fruit. And now um, we're in chapter 15, right after he actually uh, reiterated his new command to his disciples to love one another as he has loved them. And that's what we talked about last week, right? The idea of laying your life underneath another. And we ended where I want to start today with Peter, who boldly thought in his own competence and effort that he could live up to this command that Christ had given them. But he failed. Right? In the midst of servants, he rejected and denied Jesus three times. But then a miracle happens. Not even a year later, this same man, this Peter, is able to stand in front of some of the most powerful people in the world at that time and proclaim Christ. There was a miraculous transformation that allowed him to live up to the standard that Jesus had set. And that's what the sermon is about today. It's about the fact that God is in the business of transformation. I don't know if you guys, um, you know, if you look at the narrative of the Bible, and I actually forgot my Bible. This is really awkward for a pastor to not have his Bible. Thank God for Steve Jobs. And so if you look at the narrative of uh, the Bible, you might notice a trend. Abraham and Sarah were old and barren and pagan worshipers. Moses was hot-tempered and inarticulate. David, the weakest, smallest, youngest of his brothers. And now Peter, brash and cocky. And these are the kinds of people that God uses throughout the Bible to bring his salvation to this world. What does that show us? That God loves to radically change the people that he has called, right? God is in the business of transformation. He likes to look at the same situations and circumstances that we look at and we call hopeless, the same people or group of people that we look at and we call me, and he takes those things and he molds those things and he changes those things until they're almost unrecognizable for his glory's sake. That's what God does. He uses his power to completely change lives. I'll actually never forget when I was talking to somebody once who was confessing to me how they were addicted to certain drugs until someone told them about Jesus. 
and they came to, uh, came to Christ. I said, well, you, I said, what do you mean? Like, how did that help you? Did you find a group of people to hold you accountable that led you to, you know, support groups? Like, what, what changed to help you kind of kick this habit? And they kind of looked at me funny, and they were like, oh, no, I was, I was just baptized. And I was like, what do you mean you were just baptized? And they're like, no, literally, my friend invited me after sharing the gospel to be baptized. I was put under the water, and when I came out, those addictions were gone. And I remember being amazed when I heard that story. But as I thought about it more and more, I became more and more skeptical. I'm a man of reason. I believe in science, you know. But in all seriousness, I was kind of like, it seems unlikely that you had no withdrawals and no effects that you just magically were raised and transformed by God. And I didn't want to say this, but my heart, this is what I actually felt as I was sitting there with this person. And I had to repent and say, David, if you don't even believe that God has the power to transform broken people, then what is the point of your faith? Like, where is our hope? Why do we gather here? If we don't think that God, part of his plan and his power is to radically change people change our lives or change our families, change our co-workers, change our friends, change the city to open their eyes to his glory and open their ears to hear his word. If we don't believe that, then we're just wasting our time. What are we doing here? But our hope comes from the fact that the Lord has taken us as adopted sons and daughters and says, now that you're in my family, I'm going to make you look like us. Your father who is in heaven, your older brother, Jesus. You begin to talk like we do and begin to act like we do. Do you guys, do, do we believe that God has the power to transform? Like even in our own personal lives. I'm going to be real with you guys. I actually think there are people here, people watching, that God is waiting to do something radical in your heart. Like the word says, to actually make you a new creation with new desires, new goals, new aspiration, new power that you've never seen before in your life. If you would just ask him and have faith that he would do it. I also say that this, for some of us, it, honestly, it might be a slower change. Or it might be you have to ask more than once or twice or three times. Now, I don't know why God does different things for different people, but I do know that none of us should resist what he's trying to do in our hearts, the power and transformation he's trying to bring. They might ask, well, why would we uh, resist that? What, is that? what does that look like? Why would we do that? And the reason is um, because the more you look like Jesus, the more you might begin to have beef with certain people. You know what I'm saying? Like the more, if, if you really open yourself up to God radically changing your heart, 
you might find yourself no longer welcomed by the same people. Some of the social circles that we've worked so hard to be a part of or look like we're a part of, we might find ourselves on the outside looking in. That's what Christ is getting at here. He says, if the world hated me and you're changed to look like me, what do you think will happen? They will hate you too. They'll reject you too. It might not be all fun and games to be transformed by God. If they persecuted him, they will also persecute us. And so I think, if I could be honest, I think some of us have actually subconsciously rejected the transforming work that God is trying to do in our lives because we want to hold on to the luxuries of this world. At least certain luxuries, certain positions or uh, power, possessions that we've gotten. And so we've actually stunted our own growth because of that. I would actually argue you could almost gauge where someone is on the sanctification process based on how the world reacts to them. I'll say it again. I think you could almost gauge the kind of work and how much work God has done in someone's heart based on how they interact with the world. Who are the people that uh, they fit in with or who are the people that embrace them? What kinds of people dislike you? Does anybody dislike you? And I don't like being disliked. One of my idols, like I shared last week, is actually being liked. And sometimes that makes me sleepwalk through this world. To take my Christian light and to put it under a basket. Do y'all feel what I'm saying? Like, one of the signs that God is doing something in your heart is you're not just like waiting for heaven. But you're like, I want to bring the kingdom of heaven here now. No matter what that costs. And that's going to ruffle some feathers. You know, like people will not like that. Christ says, if you're changed to look like me, uh, then there are two things that will fuel people's hate or rejection of you. One is what you say. And two is what you do. In verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no excuse, right? I'm sorry. They would not have been guilty of their sin. They would have no excuse for their sin. If I didn't say what I said, he's saying, then they wouldn't feel guilty. They wouldn't have been indicted because of their sin. Verse 24 as well, right? If I didn't come and do the works that I did, once again, they wouldn't be guilty. He's saying what I said and what I did made them guilty, made them indicted because of their sin. So if you were like me, it would be the same for you. These are the reasons people reject you or hate you. Because of what you say and what you do. And we shouldn't divorce the two, though oftentimes we as Christians do. We should do both, right? We should say, repent. Did you know the first recorded words of Jesus in his public ministry was repent? And always a Jesus that we associate in our heads. That was, those are the first words he said, repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was not afraid to call out pride or selfishness or lust, injustice. And so to look like him is also to use our voices to promote holiness in this world. If I could be honest, our church is pretty young. And I think a thing that we deal with as uh, young Christians is we're a little bit afraid of the ways the church has erred in this before. Right, we've seen the church be pretty vocal about sin. We've seen them do it in a way that's um, maybe hypocritical or seems self-righteous. And if I could be honest, I think a tendency of ours then is to no longer be that vocal witness sometimes. But the truth is that the things that Christ called out are actually some of the same things that I know we're passionate about. Contrary to what actually some other Christians might even say, the church should be the place where you talk about racial injustice. The, the church should be the place where you talk about uh, violence against Asians or Pacific um, Americans. The church should be the place where you talk about systemic racism. This should be the place about growing wealth inequality, violence, hypocrisy in social media. This should be the place where we unify our voice and speak as one against injustice. We use our voice and we're literally going around our city and finding the most vulnerable people we could find. Isolated from the rest of the world. And we're empowering those people and being their voice when no one else is giving them a voice. That is the call of the church. There's some scary verses. I found one this week. I forgot, I forgot exactly where it is. Where it was like where God says, I, I will not listen to your prayers because you're not seeking justice. You will lift your hands to me and I will ignore you because you are not speaking out against the unholiness you see in this world. This is not a suggestion for us. This is a calling. This is a sign you're being transformed by God. This should be the place where it happens. But he says, not just in your words, but also in your works, right? In your actions. You should do the kind of things that would actually put you at odds with the world. It's kind of weird. Like, what kind of works can we do that would put us at odds with the world? Do you, you think about that? What sort of things is he talking about? What kind of works did Jesus do? What sort of things uh, put him at odds with some of the authorities at his, in his time? Well, he healed a paralytic man. And they were mad because he told that man that your sins are forgiven. He called Levi a tax collector. And they were mad because he was associating with a sinner. He healed a man who had a withered hand. And they were angry because he worked on the Sabbath. This is the craziest thing. The kind of works that Christ is saying will put you at odds with the world are loving works. Like we talked about before, dying to yourself, those kind of works that feel like death. 
Those are the things he's saying might actually put you at odds with the ideology of this world. That's how it actually connects to what we talked about last week. As God transforms you to do these things, it might mean you ruffle feathers. How crazy is that? I think we, sometimes as Christians, we, we think that what this means to be at war with the world is to be like combative, right? And to fight for this and to fight for that. But he's saying it's actually your humility and selflessness that will stand, that you should stand up for in your faith. I have to share a story about my mom. She visited me this uh, Friday, this past Friday. And she's a nurse at a prison and she's been having some trouble with her manager. And so I followed up with her uh, when I saw her this week and I asked her how it was going. And she told me that she actually got transferred to a new department. You know why she got transferred? Because she was taking napkins and she was writing Bible verses on them and giving it to the women who were being in prison. And she said sometimes, you know, when they would line up and the nurse's job was to like, you know, ration out the water or like the ice they give them for their water. She would always give them more than they were supposed to get. And sometimes when they were really violent, uh, they would actually literally be chained to walls and isolated. And she would go and she would talk with them and pray with them. And her manager was saying, you know, you're breaking protocols by doing some of these things. To the point where literally her manager went to the superiors and had her transferred to a new department. Loving works. And I, I actually get it. I, I get why those protocols are there. I get why you don't want to hand inmates things or, you know, I, I actually get it. But you know what God did? She said this, another manager heard that she was being transferred, and this manager was actually a believer and heard what my mom was doing. So she's like, I, I'll, I'll take Helen to be in my department. And this is what happened. My mom said, I'm like, Taryn, I'm already thinking about it, <clears throat> that she walked in the first day at her new department. And she recognized one of the uh, inmates who were there. And the inmate turned and saw her and ran to her and said, Sister or uh, Nurse Helen, where have you been? My mom thought about, you know, she looked so familiar. Who is it? And she remembered that it was one of the most violent, she's, I want to miss what this woman did, one of the most violent inmates she had, who was often chained on the wall, who my mom would go and she would pray for and leave uh, verses for. And the woman would actually be like, I'm an atheist. I don't want, I'm, I'm an atheist. Don't give it to me. The mom just continued to do it and do it and talk to her and pray with her. She said this woman saw her. This is the first day she was in a new department. Ran up to her and said, you converted me. From those verses you gave me, you converted me. My mom said the whole week that she was seeing all these women that for the past two, three years, she was handing verses to who were asking her, can we get more verses? They're calling it homework, she said. Like, can we please get some homework from you? Now, look what God did. And I was like, you're like an apostle. I was, I was joking. I was like, you're like an apostle from the Bible. That's the kind of story you just told me. And I'm a pastor, and I don't even have stories like that. You want to know why? Because I'm actually, I would be afraid if my manager called me out. I would be scared to go against protocol. 
I wouldn't want to offend people. I wouldn't, I want to be at odds with this world, especially those in power. I like my power. I like my, inf- I like my platform. I, I don't want to give that up. But I saw how God used my mother to bring hope and joy into the life of someone I know has probably experienced nothing but pain and hopelessness. It's, it's never the people you love that you're at odds with, right? It's always those in power who have deemed those people unlovable. They're the ones that fight you. Why do you talk about social justice in church, they say? Haven't we talked enough about race? Why are you friends with those kind of people? Why would you leave your high-paying job to go serve there instead? Why would you donate that much money to that cause? Why would you give up that much time for that person? Didn't you already help them? Didn't you already try? Have you already done enough? It's not safe to move there. It's not safe to have them in your home. It's not cool to say that. It's a bad look to do that. We actually, we we don't allow that here. We don't allow them here. You should think more about yourself. You should care more about your own needs. If you do that, you might die. If I told you guys that Jesus, if he was here today, would be rejected by the majority of the people in this world, would you still want to look like him? Would you still want God to transform you to be like him? Is it still worth loving and fighting for broken people and broken sinners who might have no other hope? If so, then pray for God to transform you. Pray for God to change you and your heart. Ask him to give you the boldness you need, the courage you need, the words you need to be like Jesus in this world. And God will do it. Do you notice how the section ended? He talks about loving people. He says that might put you at odds with this world. But it's okay. An advocate is coming. A counselor will come. And he will be with you to testify through your words and actions about me. In chapter 14, he says, when I leave, I will ask the Father and he will give you this advocate. And he will be with you forever. In chapter 16, he will guide you to all truth. Our hearts are drawn to this world. So, so much so, more than we even realize. And so we resist being changed to look more like Jesus. We resist being as sanctified and matured as his disciples. We don't want to risk anything. We're like Peter, too afraid to be at odds with the world, too afraid to lay down his life. But Jesus saying to us what he said to Peter, he said to Peter, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise that I have given you, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will give you power to be witnesses even to the end of the earth. 
And it's the same promise he is giving us of power to be witnesses, no matter what it costs us. The Spirit is a vehicle of change. And God loves to send him to those who ask in their time of need. So we could be at war with this world in the name of love. I can confess to you guys, I'm beginning to feel um, the weight of this, you know, potential church planting season more and more. And one of my biggest fears, and this might sound a little, I don't know, maybe pretentious is the word. Uh, One of my biggest fears is actually not that I'll have an unsuccessful church. One of my biggest fears is actually the opposite. So by every traditional metric, I would have a successful one. A decent amount of people who tithe, who come every Sunday, you know, they volunteer at the nursery, they go to all the cool outreach and, and mission events. We would be doing all the right things and God wouldn't even be there. It's, it's actually, my, I think, my biggest fear. I was raised in church. Born, I've been here my whole life. I was baptized in my mom's womb. Like my whole life I was raised in church. I know how to play this game. My fear is that we would be in neighborhoods. We wouldn't even be transforming the neighborhoods because no one in our church would be being transformed. The power of God would not even be there. My hope for you guys is the same. This would be a place filled with people who do not want the Sunday service, the the sermon, to be the apex of their Christian life for that week. But who want to know what it's like for their entire lives to be transformed by the gospel. Their entire week to be filled with the Spirit using them for the sake of this world. And I've seen it. I don't know all of you, but I've seen it in some of you for sure. That spark, that yearning. And I plead with you to fan it into a flame. A fire in your bones for the presence of God and nothing less than that in this place. I'm telling you, if you, do, you, you will see God do crazy things in you and through you. It might lead to more pain and hurt in this world. Yeah, it might. But ultimately, I do think it will bring you to an even greater joy.